Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Lagore, and welcome to another episode of the Skywatcher USA, or just Skywatcher, actually, the Skywatcher What's Up webcast. And uh, we do this every Friday, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific, and they're generally about an hour long. And the goal of the webcast is really just to kind of share anything and everything that is astronomy. And each week we try to make the topic a little bit different. So if you ever want to go back and kind of explore or reference it, um, we make the episodes really kind of easy and focused on one major topic. And of course, this is a live webcast, but it is recorded. So if you ever miss it or there's something you need to reference, uh, they are recorded and they are on the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. If you enjoy uh, seeing these webcasts and you want to see uh, what's coming, you can also subscribe to the Skywatcher USA channel. And then that way you get alerts and emails of when we're doing uh, another video and uh, what might be the topic for that week. And like I said, we try to do one of these every week, every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, this is actually the 20th episode. We've kind of burned through these really quickly. Um, so thanks for all of you who are joining us this morning, no matter where you are, um, or if you're watching this as a recorded um, event. So this week's topic is uh, we're going to be discussing objects beyond the Messier catalog. And um, anybody who's just getting into astronomy or anyone who's been into astronomy as well obviously knows that the Messier catalog is kind of the first set of objects that you start hunting or observing or photographing or whatever you want to do. And it's a great collection of, of objects uh, to, to go view. And a lot of them are very, very easy to see. Um, and a variety of different uh, telescope apertures and sizes. Um, but it's that's generally where we all start. So we're let me get myself out of the way really quick here, just so we can get all of this. There we go. So the Messier catalog, of course, is a collection of 110 objects uh, that was originally documented by Charles Messier, a French astronomer in I believe the 1700s era actually it might be a little bit off on that one so uh regardless they they are kind of the i like to call it the greatest hits of um the astronomy catalog because this is generally the objects that we've all started with and a lot of us go back to sharing and viewing and imaging throughout our entire you know, career in amateur astronomy and there's a, they're a beautiful collection of objects. However, what I wanted to do on this webcast is kind of explain what sits beyond that. Um, so just to kind of follow, cover up uh, everything real quick, uh, you have the, the Messier catalog, 110 objects. Uh, of course, they're made of clusters, nebulas, and galaxies. Um, and there is actually one double star in the Messier catalog. That's M40. Um, if you ever want to take that and check it out. Um, and these are easily visible in telescopes. I have 8-inch, um, but from a dark sky site, you can probably see the majority of these in at least a 3-inch telescope, maybe a little bit bigger. But an 8-inch telescope um, from average skies will allow you to catch a good chunk of these um, without a lot of effort. But getting it out to dark skies... Um, 
can be good um, to explore a little bit more. But the goal of this this week is to actually encourage people to venture out into deeper waters, if you will. Um, the Messier catalog is excellent. It's a fun group of objects. Um, all of us go back looking at them. Um, they're constantly photographed and shared. Um, obviously, we see those, you know, time and time again. There's, and I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with the Messier catalog, uh, but there's thousands of other things out there in the night sky to see and image and explore. And that was kind of the whole point of today's uh, topic is to encourage you if. If you've been into this a while, you probably know some of this. Um, if, but if you're new or you're looking for something that's a little bit more challenging, um, what I hope to get out of uh, this webcast is to actually encourage others to dive off the deep end and see what's out there further. So now that's what we're going to be doing today. I'm going to be going over several different catalogs of objects that exist. Um, there are hundreds of catalogs, um, depending on on numerous uh, variables, um, generally revolving around surveys of the nighttime sky and depending on who's doing what and what the goal of the survey is. But um, that's generally how a catalog is put together. But I want to go over some of the basic ones. Um, and maybe pushing into some of the more exotic uh, catalogs. So that's what I'm, I'm hoping to uh, get into today for anybody who wants to jump into the deep end. So with that being said, uh, let's, let's start off with probably one of, actually it would be the next step above the Messier catalog, and that of course is the NGC, or New General Catalog. Um, now, NGCs uh, was originally published in 1888, um, has a total of 7,840 objects in the catalog, um, and it's, it's a combination of a large collection of different um, objects um, throughout the night sky, um, both northern and southern hemisphere, and it, it also encompasses all 110 Messier objects. So if you ever look at like Sky Safari or something like that, you'll actually notice that all the Messier objects have an NGC number as well. And the original goal of this back in the 1800s was to kind of have a catalog that encompassed all known uh, um, celestial objects in the nighttime sky, um, distant objects, nebulas, galaxies, and clusters, um, Obviously not the planets or stars or anything like that, but mainly just the, the more distant objects. So the goal of this was to document all of those known objects under one master catalog. And that's why it was so large at the time, almost 8,000 objects. And for the most part, a lot of the NGC objects can actually be seen in... A general size telescope you know you can catch a lot of them between telescopes somewhere between 6 to 12 inch um, but some of the faintest ones you'll probably need upwards of an 18 inch to actually catch the whole catalog uh, one by one and um, as we move through each catalog uh, this morning um, I'm gonna have a couple different uh, just cool recommended objects. Some of them you've probably seen before. Um, I'll have their constellations and a little bit of information about them. And uh, we're actually covering 
this from both visual and photographic uh, points. So I tried to have notes documenting both both of those depending on what your your goal is um, for the target. So the first one on there, um, of course, is one of my favorite regions in the entire night sky, and that's the Veil Nebula Complex. Uh, this is a four-panel mosaic shot with a Skywatcher Esprit 100 and a Starlight Express 16200 uh, almost full-frame sensor. It covers well, a little over three degrees of the night sky. It's, it's huge, so you're going to need large optics, uh, not large aperture optics, but wide field optics. Um, to see it, larger sensors can also help increase that field of view. Um, and this is also done in hydrogen alpha, um, so that's why you can see a lot of the details in there. Um, but the veil complex is actually made up of a large collection of, of nebulas, and it's a supernova remnant, so all of this remains from a massive star that died in a massive explosion. And it left over the remnants that we see here. And uh, this whole region is made up of multiple uh, NGC numbers. So we have NGC 6960, which is up here. That is the Western Veil. Um, then you have NGC 6992 and 95, which make up the Eastern Veil down here. And then you have all the, the little tendrils and stuff inside, which have all their own uh, NGC numbers as well. Um, so it's it's a complex of of objects making up this one event that have occurred. And this is in the constellation of Cygnus. This is actually up right now in the northern hemisphere, nice and high, just after uh, sunset in the summer months. Um, we are recording this in September, so uh, just after sunset, Cygnus sits really high, almost vertical for the northern hemisphere. Um, so now would be the time to, to jump after this target if you want to take a look at it, especially as we start to get past the, the full moon that we had on the second. Um, this will be a really good object to, to go after and photograph. Um, if you're going to dark skies, uh, this is a very fun object um, it's it looks really really nice in you know telescopes around eight inches or larger but you will have to do kind of a tour of the region kind of roping around um, one side to the other where uh, if you are in a dark enough location I've seen it in telescopes as small as 80 millimeter to get the entire field of view uh, the entire three degree field of this object using low power eyepieces like a 35 or a 40 or you know a 31 or something in that realm depending on the focal length of your telescope this is a very nice object to see it looks like a pair of parentheses floating up in the nighttime sky now if you are going to be imaging it can be done visually so your standard lrgb set you can do that um, and get the natural colors of the object in there but it does really well in narrow band. So if you've got, especially hydrogen and oxygen three filters, if you've got those, this is very, very easy to do in town. Um, if you have an H alpha filter um, oxygen, there's, there is some sulfur in there if you're, if you're doing the Hubble palette, but not a ton of it. Um, it does really good in bicolor, so H alpha and O3. And then of course you see just this, the black and white up on the screen there, that is just hydrogen. 
Um, so it does really good for astrophotography and it is something when paired with narrowband filters can be obtained from in-town viewing locations. This was actually shot from my backyard in Phoenix um, with a bright moon up. So a, a decent H-alpha filter, like five to seven nanometer uh, filter would work really well at photographing this nebula region. Uh, you just need to make sure you've got a pretty wide field uh, optic. Uh, visually, like I said earlier, it's best done in dark skies. Uh, you can do about a three inch telescope to get the entire thing. It is going to be kind of faint, but uh, increasing that aperture is going to help. Short tube refractors that are 100 millimeter in aperture with a like a 30 millimeter eyepiece can catch the whole thing. It gets really impressive in larger optics, you know, eight inch and bigger because you can start to zoom in and see some of the fainter uh, details. Uh, if you ever have a chance to see this in a large Dobsonian, like a 20 inch or bigger, uh, with an O3 filter or a UHC filter paired in the system, uh, there's a lot of very elegant tendrils that kind of pan through the nebulas in there. It's really quite stunning. There's very few objects I find that are equal in, as far as the, the, the very fine uh, ribbons of dust and material that's in this complex. So that's why it's one of my favorites. But uh, that is the Veil Nebula Complex. It's easy to find up in Cygnus, uh, easy to photograph, and uh, a very nice uh, dark sky object. It can be a very tricky object in town, depending on your location. If you have a backyard that's kind of shielded from glare and isn't, you know, overly light polluted you could possibly actually glimpse this or glimpse i'm sorry glimpse this from a light polluted location like outskirts of town not in the middle of town with a oxygen three filter um, in the system and probably like an eight inch telescope you'd probably get a ghostly image of it in there so it's it's something that you can play um play with from home and see what you can get out of it uh next target is uh, the Crescent Nebula. Uh, this is a very cool uh, nebula that actually sits in a massive uh, hydrogen-rich region up in Cygnus. That's why you see a lot of this is all red in the background. And then it obviously has this uh, outer O3 uh, oxygen bubble uh, shell around it as well. Uh, just a little bit about the Crescent. This is NGC 6888. It's also in Cygnus. It's an emission nebula. Also a Wolf-Rayet star. So a major star in there is dying, shedding off layers. And that outer material being pushed out is being intercepted by other stellar winds, causing this really dynamic brain-looking shell of an object um, floating out in space. Um, you can, this is a pretty easy one to actually shoot as well, especially if you're paired with narrowband filters in town. This was shot in town, uh, with H-alpha and oxygen three filters. Uh, this is a bicolor image. So it's, it's relatively easy with narrowband filters, uh, visually, uh, visual filters, uh, LRGB filters or color filters. Uh, you'll probably want to have darker locations to really pull it out. It, this really does best with narrow band, uh, particularly hydrogen. If you want to get that outer blue uh, shell, you're going to need a fair amount of time in oxygen three. 
this particular shot, uh, this is 12 hours total exposure on a Skywatcher Esprit 150 uh, with a Starlight 694, and it actually is using the Stars on Apex Reducer to speed it up. But this is six hours in each channel, 12 hours total. So I've got uh, six hours in hydrogen and six hours in oxygen, and they are three nanometer filters for this. So uh, really cutting down to really getting in there. But that O3 outer shell, that this blue shell that we see out here is is very kind of cool if you're looking for a challenge to glimpse uh, photographically getting that that's kind of the challenge in the object here is pulling out the o3 shell that uh, sits there um, you could shoot this in a color camera um, right now especially nowadays with all these additional um, narrowband filters like the l enhance from optolong or the triad filters from the radiant opt brand um, if you pair that up um, you could get a lot of this relatively easily. Uh, you can shoot it in just normal color, but you'll, you'll probably have to expose for quite a while to get a lot of the detail out of the field there. So you see this done in narrowband quite often, but it can be done in, in color as well. Uh, visually, uh, this really needs a 10 inch or larger telescope to see. And for the most part, you can only glimpse this outer bright region of it. Um, the molting inside of here, that brain-looking uh, pattern in there, that's really difficult to see uh, visually. You'd need a fairly large telescope to catch any of that. So, uh, or if you've really gone high-end, you could use like one of the night vision adapters um, to catch more of it. The outer O3 shell, I would say, is practically impossible visually. Um, you would need a crazy amount of aperture nothing within the realms of amateur i would say to see that because it is oxygen um an oxygen three portion and it's blue uh the eye is very very low in sensitivity to that those wavelengths of light so that's that would be exceedingly faint um to see visually i would say i wouldn't bet anything that you'd be able to see it so uh, but if you want to see the nebula itself and that structure, then a UHC or an O3 filter can be can be pretty good. So, uh, Steve, if you have the uh, the L Extreme or the L Enhance, those both would knock it out of the park. So, especially if you're using a one-shot color camera. Let's see. Let's moving on. Uh, Next one up, this is a great target right now. It's just starting to rise in the northeast part of the sky. This, of course, is the Bubble Nebula. Uh, the Bubble Nebula, or NGC 7635, is in Cassiopeia, and it's an emission nebula. There's a lot of other nebulas around this region. If you are using a really wide field or you're doing a mosaic, there's a ton of other stuff floating around here. Um, this is really best for 600 millimeter or longer focal lengths if you're truly just trying to get the bubble itself. Um, it's really kind of a cool object because you have a lot of extended details um, in here just around the bubble and then the bubble itself is a beautiful little piece in the nebula. Uh, and it does well for both visual 
or color filters lrgb sets um, and it does really well in narrow band especially if you're going to be doing uh, hubble palettes um, the bubble has a lot of um, signal in all three channels to bring that out so and this is rising right now so if you're looking for an object to shoot almost all night uh, the bubble is a very good consideration for that um, especially if we've got a good northeast uh, location uh, visually uh, this is a difficult one visually um, I've only glimpsed just the outer little shell this bright portion right here in the bubble itself um, and just the outer edge curve of the bubble um, and that was in a 16 inch Dobsonian with a UHC filter that's it's quite a challenge to actually see the bubble nebula um, without any you know night vision adapted equipment there so uh, visually, this is really best suited for very dark skies, and the more aperture you can throw at it, the better um, to glimpse that uh, visually. So, kind of a challenge target visually. Photographically, it's pretty easy. This was taken with a six inch spree, uh, 150, and just a hydrogen alpha filter. And even in short exposures, like a less than a minute, you'll start to actually see it. Um, longer exposures, you'll start to get the extension of the dust. Um, and hydrogen gas in that region. So one of my favorites that are that's really good for this coming season and autumn that's coming up. This is a great target if you're looking for a project. Now, now to make sure we get all the not everything's nebulas up there. So uh, this one is another great object that's coming up. It's in the constellation of Andromeda. This is NGC 891. Um, it's an edge on spiral galaxy. This one is can be done in shorter focal length optics uh, photographically, depending on how big the sensor is. But it's it is kind. It's not small, but it's not big either. So if you've got a longer focal length instrument, something like 800 millimeter to that thousand millimeter sweet spot, this this is a great target if you're looking to shoot a galaxy um, this this fall. Uh, this is a good one that's actually starting to rise, you know, as it gets darker and we push more towards the late evening. This is a good one to go after. Um, it is a galaxy, so you're only going to be able to use visual uh, filters, you know, LRGB filters. Uh, narrow band is pretty much worthless on galaxies unless they've got a lot of H2 hydrogen regions, then you can use an H-alpha uh, H filter. This doesn't have too much of that in there at all, so narrow band is worthless on this you just have to rely on getting that data the way it is so that's a, a good one uh, visually this is a little bit more of a challenge i would be hesitant to say you could see this in a light polluted location um, if you can you must be out of the glare and you've got a fair amount of aperture on it um, from dark skies though if you've got a 12 inch 10 inch 12 inch telescope or bigger then this is a fun one to go after um, it's actually good if you've got like a Schmidt Cassegrain, something with a little bit longer focal length, like a nine and a quarter or an 11 or even a 14 or bigger Schmidt. Um, this is a cool one to go after because this galaxy does best with image scale and making it a little bit bigger. So that's a cool one to, to check out as well. Um, and that is NGC 891. So that's a good one if you're looking for some galaxy time uh, this autumn. All right. This is one that doesn't come up too often, but it's huge. 
Um, this is the Sculptor Galaxy, NGC 253. Uh, this is in the constellation of Sculptor. It's a spiral galaxy. This is a big galaxy. Um, it, Sculptor sits kind of low in the south from the northern hemisphere, uh, so you can glimpse it. The further south you go, it, it'll be higher. But this is this is it's a lot bigger than most people think. Uh, you need a fair amount of field to catch something of this size. Uh, if you've got a 600 millimeter focal length scope somewhere in there, this'll that'll be a healthy object to go after. It's just from where it sits in the sky, you don't have a ton of time to to hit it. It's not as low as like Omega Centauri or anything like that, but you know it, it's still low in the southeast. Uh, sorry the yeah southeast southwest as it's going through there so but this is a another one that really does well with lrgb filters there is as you can see um, these little pink regions in there there is some h2 hydrogen regions in there so you could do a little bit of h alpha uh time in there to get some of that out of there um, but mostly you're going to be doing RGB and luminance, but it's a big galaxy, so be prepared for that. Uh, visually, you can see it in a 6-inch telescope. Like I said, it is a larger galaxy. Um, dark skies help to get more of the detail. Um, if you ever get a chance to get like a 20-inch telescope on this at a star party, um, you can start to get some of that molting detail inside of the galaxy itself. So it's a really cool one. It's a big galaxy. Um, so try to check that one out. It's definitely worth uh, taking a look at it. So those are just some objects to check out from the NGC catalog. Obviously there's almost 8,000 objects in there so good luck with it. There's tons of stuff in there. We could be there all day talking about it but we're going to continue on with some of these other catalogs. Uh, shortly after the uh, NGC catalog came around we also had some additions to the NGC catalog and that was known as the index catalog or IC uh, the original one IC1 was published in 1895 and then the addition of IC2 was done in 1905 this is a total of 5386 objects and there are some overlap between uh, NGC and ICs uh, but IC is kind of a fainter uh, addition to the NGCs. Uh, Steve, uh, what are you asking about what filters to use on uh, NGC 253, the Sculptor Galaxy? Just let me know and I'll catch it in there. Um, but the IC is expansions from the NGC catalogs. And to see all the ICs, you're starting to get fairly faint in the IC catalog so now we're we're jumping into 20 inch or bigger territory to catch to catch them all uh, one of the most famous ones of course is IC 434 and that is of course now this is gonna come up a couple times in this presentation is the horse head um, uh, I don't have any write-ups for all the filters um, right now, but you can go back and watch this later or shoot us an email. I'll go over that in a minute, and we'll talk about that after. So back to this. Uh, the Horsehead Nebula is a really popular object. This is going to come up multiple times in this presentation because it has multiple classifications. So IC434 is actually the hydrogen region back here. 
um, the horse head's just part of it, but we're actually referring to this hydrogen portion right in here. Uh, the flame nebula is not part of this. That's an NGC. Um, but this is IC434 is referring to this hydrogen cloud back in here. Um, does really well with a H-alpha filter photographically. You can actually use the, the color filters if you're shooting monochrome um, with RGB filters. If you're doing monochrome and if you have a one-shot color camera, then just you know use a light pollution filter and go after it. Um, but it does well with narrow band as well, particularly hydrogen. Uh, there is a little bit of O3. There's not a lot of sulfur uh, in this region if you're doing narrow band. Uh, visually, I have seen this in a six inch telescope with an H beta filter. It's a challenge with that. Um, adding some more aperture in there would be helpful. Um, if you can get bigger aperture, kind of pushing into that 10, 12 inch class would be helpful in dark skies. But the H beta or UHC filters visually would be helpful. Uh, this is a favorite of mine that's also coming up. It's in Cassiopeia. This is the bright star Navi in N-A-V-I in Cassiopeia. It's the center star. But you have these two faint little ghosts of uh, nebulas in here. And this is known as the Gamma Cassiopeia Nebula, or IC59 and IC63. Uh, they're emission nebulas. You can do really well with 400 millimeter or longer. If you shoot them longer focal length, you get some image scale. If you're shooting monochrome, uh, they do come out in RGB filters, or if you're just using a color camera, you can just go after it with a light pollution filter. Uh, they do well with narrow bands, particularly H-alpha and O3 filters, but there's not much sulfur in there. If you're doing S2, it's not probably worth the time to do it, so stick with the HAO3. Uh, visually, I have seen these. Um, they are they're a fun challenge. I really like going after objects that have a bright contrasting star next to them, and these are one of those. Um, you can do this in a 12-inch from dark skies. Use a UHC or an O3 filter, but really take your time um, going back and forth to kind of move the field and let your eye kind of pick up on the those dust, uh, dusty little portions here. The brighter of the two, I believe it's IC59, I think is this one. Um, that's the one you're going to catch first. It's brighter than the, the other. So give that a give that a shot. Photographically, as you can see in hydrogen alpha here, uh, it does well. Our narrow band filter will pull that out. So kind of a, a neat set of objects up there. But uh, visually, they are they are a bit of a challenge, um, and you will need some decent aperture, probably 12 inch or bigger, to go after it. All right, this is probably one of the most sought after targets in the winter time. Uh, this is the Witch Head Nebula IC2118. Uh, I always butcher this constellation's name, Arandus. Uh, this is right off the bright star Rigel in the constellation of Orion. Um, it's The nebula itself is just outside the boundaries of the Orion constellation, um, but it's just off of Rigel. Uh, this is a reflection nebula, so that means there is no narrowband filters that can help with this. Uh, this is all visible light, so if you're doing one-shot color, just go at it. Um, and you're probably going to need a dark sky to do this because... There's not going to be any aid really from a light pollution filter. It's just going to cut the light pollution down. 
Um, if you're doing monochrome, you'll have to use LRGB filters and probably need a really good luminance channel to pull it out because it's so faint. Um, so, but yeah, if you're doing hydrogen, I have pulled out subtle details in hydrogen, but it's there's not a lot of assistance from it. Um, so this is really gonna be just pounding it away on time. Uh, visually, this can be seen in a variety of objects, uh, but it's going to be quite difficult. Um, again, it's a reflection nebula. Reflection nebulas have no assistance from filters. So you really just need to, it's all about having good, dark, transparent skies, and that's it. Um, so very, very challenging visually and photographically. Um, this is really just an ultimately dark sky site object. Um, extending past the ICs, um, we have the Herschel catalog. Now the Herschel catalog was kind of the basic fundamentals originally of the NGC catalog. And then the NGCs came along and kind of incorporated and they all got washed up inside the NGC catalog. But uh, in the 1970s, an astronomy club in Florida kind of came together and went through the original 2700 or so NGC objects that were originally from Herschel's, uh, this is William Herschel's original observations, pulled those 27 odd, 2700 odd uh, gala, uh, ugh, can't talk, objects, and they combed through them getting to the best 400 of those objects. And that brings us to what's known as the Herschel 400. And there's actually, uh, I think there's a Herschel 2 uh, set now from another club that went through and added an, another collection of them. I think it's another 400 or so. Um, this isn't like a research catalog like NGCs and ICs are. Um, this is kind of a amateurly built and compiled catalog, but um, a lot of amateur astronomers like to use this Herschel 400 as a challenge um, it's a, it's a lot like doing the Messier, you know, catalog all 110. If you're looking, if you're done with the Messiers and you want kind of a collection of objects to go after afterwards, the Herschel 400 is very popular. This is more of a visual challenge uh, set um, than really photographic because everything in the, the Herschel 400 is an NGC. So it's all covered under the NGC catalog. So if you're imaging... You're probably just going to go after the NGC number. Um, but if you want, like, a, if you're looking for a visual collection of objects that are more advanced than the Messier catalog and you want a project to work on, the Herschel 400 is a very good one um, to go after. You can see most of them in a six inch telescope. A little bit more aperture would probably be helpful. Um, but that's a fun one to go do um, if, you're, if, you're into, if you're a visual person and you really want something to challenge you after you've done the Messiers, then the Herschel 400 is a nice, well-organized collection to, to spend your time on. And it'll probably take a couple years to complete, depending on how active you are getting to, to dark skies. But I have a lot of people I've met who've, who've worked on the Herschel 400 or completed it and took quite a bit of time to do it. So that's really what the Herschel uh, collection is. Um, a similar collection to that is also the Caldwell catalog. Uh, the Caldwells uh, were published in 1995. Um, this is another list composed from famous British uh, astronomy author Patrick Moore, Sir Patrick Moore. 
Um, and I think his middle name was Caldwell. So that's why it comes from the Caldwell. But he built a list of 109 objects beyond the Meziers. They're pretty much all NGCs as well. It's it's another collection of objects. There's actually a couple different books on the Caldwell catalog. So if you want something to like take out to the field, you want something that's a little bit more advanced than the Messier catalog, but maybe you don't have time to go through all 8,000 objects of the NGCs and find every single one you want to look through, the, the Herschel 400 and the Caldwell catalogs kind of take the, the best of the NGC catalogs and kind of bring them to a nice digestible collection or you know group that if you want like an observing list but maybe you don't have time to to go after and do the research on it because life is busy and crazy the herschel 400 and the caldwells are a really good set of objects to to kind of advance up to and this is again more of a visual collection um, because they're all under the NGC. If you're an astrophotographer, you're probably just going to go after the astrophotography list. But if you want some help and you, you might not know what to shoot and you want something that's a little bit off the beaten path, then maybe picking up the Herschel 400 or the, a book on the Caldwell objects might be kind of fun if you want to kind of go off and shoot some different targets um, instead of, you know, the same old stuff. All right. So now that we've kind of covered the major players, we're going to start dipping into more of the exotic stuff. Uh, one of my personal favorites is the Barnard catalog. These are generally labeled with B um, before the object number. Um, Barnard catalog was compiled in, and published in 1927 by E.E. Uh, e. Barnard. Uh, he, he was kind of one of the spearheads for current day modern day astrophotography he used glass plates on a 10 and 13 inch telescope to photograph selected regions of the night sky uh, total of those are 369 objects which he listed they are dark nebulas or uh, regions of dust that are fairly dense blocking or obscuring background stars um, and they're they're quite elegant and uh, beautiful targets but they are challenging to see um, especially visually um, you can do them from a six-inch tele. You can do it with a six-inch telescope, but you really the key to dark nebulas, the key to visually seeing dark nebulas is dark, transparent skies. So darkness isn't the only thing you need. You need a location that's going to provide a very transparent location uh, to give you really good clarity in the night sky. That's generally a location that's obviously dark, but uh, higher altitude locations can give you the better transparency to see some of this. Um, and like I said, the horse head does come back in this catalog. Um, and we're going to start that off right here. Of course, um, earlier we talked about IC434, which was all this. Um, now we're just talking about the horse head, which is the little black dark pillar in there that looks like a horse head. Uh, that is known as B33 or Barnard 33. It's in the constellation Orion, just next to the star Alnatak in the belt. Um, Imaging-wise, the Horsehead region, uh, you can shoot it in all different focal lengths, uh, 400 millimeter or longer, depending on how you want to frame it up and how big the chip is. Uh, One-shot color cameras, you can either go at it with just the color camera itself. A light pollution filter can help. Or you can use those multi-band, narrow-band filters to really aid in helping pull that detail out. Um, if you are using a monochrome camera, then LRGB filters can be helpful. 
or narrow band H alpha O3, and there is some S2 in there, but not much to get the outer region there. The horse head's going to show up automatically because it's a dark nebula. It's just, it's there, um, and there's no filter that's really going to help uh, pull it out. Uh, a hydrogen alpha filter, like you see here, uh, will make that really, really easy photographically. Visually, on the other hand, um, the Horsehead Nebula is relatively small in comparison to IC434, all the extra hydrogen here. You're looking for just this little smudge. Now, the best way I can describe viewing the Horsehead, because this comes up every winter, I have people call in and they're like, how do I see the Horsehead? Well, here's how you do it. Uh, the Horsehead is like looking for a black thumbprint on black paper. It's very faint. Um, and the best way to really go about it is dark skies, a decent amount of aperture. I've done it in a 10 inch. Um, I think a 16 does a little bit better, but a really good H beta filter is really the trick to see it. And it's still fairly faint to catch it. This is an object, if you're going after the horse head visually, it takes a lot of patience. Um, if you can get on the tack, that bright star out of the field, that's very helpful as well, um, just to get the glare out. But a good uh, H beta, you can use a UHC filter because it does pass H beta, but it's really best suited to doing um, H beta filters um, on to go for it. So uh, if you really want a visual challenge, um, the horse head nebula is something that comes up every winter. Um, it's very easy photographically, but it's a challenge uh, visually. Uh, moving on in there, uh, this is another region. This is actually up in the nighttime sky right now um, in the northern hemisphere. Uh, this is the Snake Nebula, which you can see right in here. There's a bunch of other ones in here. You can see all the dark nebulas floating around in here. Um, Let's see, Jonathan, why H-beta filter rather than H-alpha for the horse head? Um, H-alpha would be used if you're doing photography. H-beta uh, is used visually. Um, the human eye is more sensitive in the green, and that's where H-beta peaks. Um, so H-alpha filters are not really good for visual work. Our eye just doesn't pull out light in that wavelength. So an H-beta shows you the same thing, but in a different... Uh, band pass or different wavelength so h beta is generally used for visual h alpha is generally used for photographic uh so snake nebula b72 constellation zophiuchus it's another dark nebula there's a lot of really elegant tendrils of dust in this region um this is a really good wide field target. This was actually taken with a Canon 200mm f2.8 telephoto, so in a monochrome camera. So you can a good wide field lens will work well. Um, if you're doing imaging, uh, you can do one-shot colors work well if you're if you're working with that. Um, a light pollution filter I find is very, very helpful. Um, I don't like color of these objects. I think black and white does it the best to pull it because it's all about contrast. So uh, just doing a black and white shot, I think really helps pull out uh, these. But again, like reflection nebulas, there's no filter to get you through it. Um, visually, you can do this in a six inch telescope. I don't know why I have H beta or UHC in there. So you can just ignore that for this. Um, 
there's no helping you here. You just need dark skies. That's it. So, um, all dark nebulas are pretty much dark skies. Good transparency. That's it. Uh, next one up here. This is actually the Cocoon Nebula, which is also nice and high right now in Cygnus. But what's cool about the Cocoon is it has all this elegant uh, trailing of dark nebulas behind it. Um, this is another Canon 200mm telephoto shot. Uh, this is uh, B168, which is actually referring to this area. Uh, we're not really worried about the Cocoon Nebula down here, but you can go after the Cocoon in its own right. It's an IC target, so go check that out. This is up in Cygnus. Uh, this is really well done in wide field optics. You know, Like I said, this is 200mm telephoto. You can do it with a one-shot color and a light pollution filter, or if you're doing uh, imaging um, with a monochrome camera, you can use uh, RGB or light pollution filters to kind of help. And then, of course, visually, this is a fainter one. Um, so visually, you would need a very, very dark sky, very good contrast to catch this nebula region. Uh, if you want to go after the cocoon, an H-beta filter visually will help. Photographically, it does really well in in standard one-shot color, or you can do some narrow band or RGB work on just the Cocoon Nebula here. So that's that's a separate optic uh, object from the the Dark Nebula we're talking about. Uh, next up on the list here, I know we're kind of running out of time, so I'll try to run through these so we have time. Uh, the next one is the Sharpless Catalog. This is a collection of emission nebulas that are spanned throughout the sky. Um, it was originally published in 1953 and updated in 1959 with a total of 313 hydrogen objects, also known as H2 regions in the night sky. Uh, these are generally very large uh, nebulas that are located throughout the sky. Very, very good for hydrogen alpha or narrow band um, filters for photographic. And uh, again, these are all very large emission nebulas and generally wide field refractors, binoculars from dark skies will help. You can send larger aperture after it. Um, right here we have the California Nebula, which is also an IC. I think it's IC1499, I think is what it is. But that would be Sharpless uh, 220. Um, so that's a cool one that you can go do. This is actually a good one to use or photograph in the autumn as well. Um, most emission nebulas, if you're doing photo photography, a H-alpha filter is gonna be good. And if you're doing visual, H-beta is the filter you'd wanna use um, for a lot of emission nebulas. So one of the biggest ones that is in the nighttime sky, and a lot of these are huge. Um, this is a one, two, three, four. This is my five panel mosaic of this region. Uh, as you can see, there's the horse head, there's Orion, but encompassing all of that is what's known as the Barnard Loop. And the Barnard Loop, or SH2-276, this is a huge, huge target. Um, it, it spans almost the entire length of the uh, constellation of Orion. Um, this is really something that you need a a telephoto lens like a 50 millimeter or an 85 um, or if you're going to go after it with a telescope you're going to be doing a mosaic to get the field that it takes to cover all of this so this is a massive object 
for photographic use. Visually, binoculars, if you can find a way to put an H-beta filter on binoculars or a really wide field refractor um, with low power to pan through this, this is something to check out. Um, in the darkest of skies, I've actually heard of people holding up an H-beta filter to their eye and simply looking through it and being able to see the loop um, there. But this is something that it would take you, you actually have to pan through the through the field to see it because it's so big. So, uh, and that's the truth with most of the Barnard, or I'm sorry, the, the Sharpless objects. Most of them are very wide objects, very big, taking up a lot of sky. So um, mosaics or wide field optics um, are gonna be needed for photography purposes. Um, another one here, um, this one is, this is really difficult um, photographically. It takes a lot of time. This is called the Spaghetti Nebula, um, also known as Cymesis 147. This is in the constellation of Taurus, uh, also known as Sharpless 240. This is a monster supernova remnant. It's actually in the horns of Taurus, not far from M1. Um, but it's it's huge, um, almost over three degrees field. Um, what's very cool about this nebula is there's a lot of very elegant tendrils and ribbons um, that flow through here, but it takes a substantial amount of time to catch the data that you need to bring out this. And this is this is a couple hours worth of exposure time, and it still needs more time to pull more data out. Uh, this is really good for wide field uh, telescopes, big sensors if you want to do it, or telephoto lenses. Um, One-shot color cameras, if you're going to go after this, you're going to be spending a long time exposing to get this to come out. Um, you Ideally, you'd want like a L-Enhance or these multi-narrowband filters if you're shooting with a one-shot color. Um, if you are shooting with a monochrome camera, with LRGB filters, tons of exposure time is going to be needed. Um, the best way to pull this out, quote unquote, quickly is with like a H alpha filter. This is with an H alpha, most of it's hydrogen because it's a supernova remnant. So uh, this is probably six to 10 hours worth of exposure in hydrogen. Uh, faster telescopes can help you get through that as well. Uh, visually, this is probably up there with one of the most difficult things to see. Um, it is visible, um, but what you're going to be seeing is not not all the faint details, but you're probably going to go after some of the brighter, like this portion right here and this portion over here, the brighter clumps inside the nebula. But you are going to need a H-beta filter, very careful observation, a fair amount of aperture in dark skies to catch this. This is a major challenge object visually and even photographically it's pushing um, pushing that. Um, another set of objects, um, we're gonna start shortening this here real quick as we go through because um, they're gonna get more exotic. Uh, we have the Abel catalog and this is broken up into a couple pieces. Um, the first one is the Abel catalog of rich clusters of galaxies. Uh, these are usually listed as Abel. Um, sometimes you'll see it as A or ARO, um, but nor normally it says Abel, um, originally published in 1958 for the Northern Hemisphere and 1989 for the Southern Hemisphere. Um, about over 4,000 clusters of galaxies. Um, 
This is really good for if you've got a little bit more narrow field of view because we are shooting galaxy clusters now. Um, One-shot color cameras can be used with this, some light pollution filters, uh, and if you're doing monochrome RGB filters, uh, no narrow band's gonna help you here, so it's just time and dark skies as you're shooting clusters of galaxies. So very distant, fairly faint um, targets, and uh, it's the same goes for visual work as well. Larger aperture, dark skies is gonna help because there's a bunch of faint as you can see here, a bunch of faint little details um, in here. Um, and the larger the telescope and the darker the skies, you'll probably find that you're gonna just continuously go fainter and fainter seeing more and more galaxies. Now another part of the Abel catalog is the Abel catalog of planetary nebulas. This is probably my favorite for planetaries. Um, these are generally listed as Abel or ARO. Uh, if you're using Sky Safari, it can list it as an ARO object published in 1966. There are only 86 nebulas in this catalog, but they're fairly difficult to see. Um, they've got some really elegant detail. Some of them are really stunning. Um, very, very faint. Um, and a lot of them have a lot of oxygen three in them. Like you can see in Abel 31 here, you can see it's relatively blue. So that means there's a lot of O3 in there. Uh, you're gonna probably need something about 800 millimeters or longer depending on the chip size because these are kind of small. Uh, you can do this with a one-shot color, a light pollution filter, or if you're monochrome RGB filters, but they really come out well if you've got some um, narrow band help with like an O3 filter or something like that. Uh, visually, again, dark skies. Some of them are easier than others. Um, there's only 86 of them, so it's kind of fun to go through. Uh, you can do some of them in a 10-inch telescope. Some of the more difficult ones require a 20-inch or larger from a, a good location. So um, that's a really fun one. If you like planetary nebulas and you're really after the hunt, um, the Abel planetaries can be really, really interesting. Uh, the last one that I've got images on is the Lens Catalog of Bright Nebula, or LBNs. Uh, now you're really jumping off the deep end with these. Um, these nebulas are really stunning um, on there uh, with that because there's a lot of very faint stuff uh, built into there. Um, so there's a lot of really cool things um, in that region. So the the lens, the LBNs are are fairly faint. They're going to take a lot of exposure time. Visually, they're um, pretty well detailed there. So that's a pretty cool one to see um, as well. Uh, but visually, these are going to be very difficult if not pushing the very edge of the limitations there. So um, this is more of a photographic collection. Let's see. Yes, uh, Angry Bot. That I had to go back and look, but yes, that that's not Abel Thirty One. I should have checked into that more. But um, Abel Thirty One actually looks like this. That's Abel Thirty One right there. Um, so I'll have to go back and check it. So if you're watching this again, that's not Abel Thirty One. I apologize, um, but uh, go back and check that out. So uh, let's see. All right, other catalogs, just real quick. Uh, 
just to pound this out, we have the Colander catalog. This is wide field open star clusters. Um, but uh, this is a, a cool one to go after if you're into binoculars and stuff like that. Um, there is uh, the Colander catalog. Uh, check that out. Definitely worth it if you're into binoculars and really, really wide field stuff. Um, you have the Vandenberg. Uh, these are really, really faint emission nebulas. These are really challenging, more in the pho photography world. Um, if you're doing visual, you might be able to do it, but you'll have to kind of go object by object. Uh, the gum nebulas. This is mostly southern hemisphere. You find a lot of these, but it was a nebula survey, and there's a lot of really large nebulas in there. So uh, definitely... Um, uh, another set of nebulas to take a look at. Uh, Berkeley, uh, or BE, uh, these are really difficult, fairly faint open clusters of star uh, star clusters, so that's another one to look out. Um, sticking on star clusters, a uh, favorite of mine, if you're really looking, really looking for a visual challenge and you like globular clusters, is the Palomar clusters. Uh, the Palomar clusters is a very short um, collection of, of globular clusters that were found during the Palomar Sky Survey. Um, I think in like the 60s or something like that. But there's, it's a very small list of, of clusters, but they're fairly, fa they're fairly faint objects. There's only 15 of them. So if you want a small collection and you want to go after some globular clusters, um, Palomar, the Palomar collection is something to go take a look at. Like I said, there's only 15 of them. Um, in order to see all 15, you're probably going to need at least a 20-inch um, to get some of them. Some of them are easier than others, but when you get to, like, Palomar 13 and stuff like that, they can be difficult. And some of them don't really resemble a globular because they're they're kind of spread out. So that's another fun one. So that's really all I've got. Um, like I said, that, that really does it for today's talk. Um, hopefully that gives you enough uh, to jump off into the deep end about it. Um, but there's um, a ton of catalogs out there. The whole purpose of today was really to encourage anybody to, you know, do some research. Go look at some of the sky surveys. Pull out a sky atlas or or dig into the nighttime sky a little bit. There are thousands of amazing objects out there to go see. Um, the Messiers are fantastic, but, you know, everybody shoots it and or talks about it. And there's I want to encourage people to kind of, you know, spread out. Don't be afraid to to try different targets and jump off into the deep end of the night sky and really start pushing what you can do um, with your equipment both photographically and visually so hopefully this was kind of eye-opening um, if you have any other questions you can always email us at support at skywatcherusa.com uh, be happy to help anybody out there if you do write to us and you have questions on the webcast just write up what's up webcast um, if you like the channel go ahead and subscribe uh, next week we're actually going to be talking about um, observing from light polluted locations and how to kind of the opposite of what we did today and how to adapt um, your observing style to the location that you're in and making the most out of where you're at rather than just being like oh I can't go out and view because it's not dark well of course you can and we're gonna kind of talk about how to how to go about doing that so that's next week um, the week after that we're doing a full episode on 
um, the Esprit triplet series. So that's going to be really cool. We'll be talking about our Esprit refractors. And then our special guest speaker at the end of the month is Vic Maris from Stellar View. Um, he's a good friend of ours, so we're going to have um, him on as well. Um, I know we went a little long. If anybody has any questions, go ahead and answer them. Um, I know we had one earlier that says, how do you determine which filters to use if you don't have any prior photographers to reference or photo yeah, photographs to reference? Um, pretty much everything in the nighttime sky can be shot with a one-shot color or a monochrome camera using LRGB filters. If it's an emission nebula, um, emission nebulas tend to do well with narrowband filters. So your hydrogen alpha, O3, S2, um, those filters can be um, helpful when when working with emission nebulas. So it's kind of just understanding the, the object and target that you're shooting um, that can help you justify which filters to actually use for it. So most galaxies, just stick with color, uh, one-shot color or LRGB. Um, one-shot colors, you know, using a regular light pollution filter can be helpful just to kind of cut down light pollution. Um, reflection nebulas, there's really no hope. You just have to pound away with time. Um, dark nebulas, I actually like shooting a dark nebula um, from town with a light pollution filter, but just doing black and white because it's all about that contrast detail in the star field. I don't worry too much about color when I'm shooting a dark nebula. Um, and in fact, I feel like color when you're shooting a dark nebula gets in the way and it's distracting from a lot of those faint uh, details in there. So uh, what I found works is get a nice monochrome camera and then put a light pollution filter like an L Pro from Optolong or um, I have a Chroma low glow filter that works really well and I just shoot it that way and it really helps pop that out. So that's understanding how and what filters to use just kind of takes trial and error. Um, you can always go on AstroBin and just search out the target and see what other people have shot that with and kind of get some inspiration from there as well. Um, and if you have any questions, you can always write us at support at skywatcherusa.com um, and we'll be we'll do what we can to help you there. So hopefully that answered any questions. Um, I don't see any other questions uh, in the chat. So if you have anything else, um, either say it now or again, write to us at support at skywatcherusa.com. Uh, title it what's up webcast and just fire your question away um, if you like the channel go ahead and subscribe it keeps you up to date with what we're doing um, on the channel um, other than that i hope everybody has a great weekend stay safe um, the moon is going down it's still a little bright so you know try to enjoy the, the weekend and we are moving to darker skies um, so stay safe stay healthy and we'll catch you all next week so uh, uh, clear skies everyone <laughs>